This particular episode is going to focus on behavior strategies that work before the bad behavior. If you can see a cycle of behavior starting, it makes a huge difference. The strategies outlined in this podcast, you can use them, but you can also teach your support staff to use them as well and also encourage them to recognize a behavior change starting and how to use the strategies. There may be some fidgeting, humming, pacing, vocalizations or a combination of all of the above. The thing you know is you so don't want the child to go to the bad behavior end product. So what can you do to stop the behavior before it even gets started? First thing you need to do is recognize. If you don't see the behavior coming, you'll never be able to effectively intervene. It may not be you that's having the problem, and it may even be some of your support staff or related service providers who come into the classroom who set everything off. You have to look and see what the patterns are. The other thing you have to do is get everyone on the same page. Organize a meeting. If you can't get everyone to a meeting, send an email to those who are not in the classroom all the time, like related services. It may be that you actually develop a code word to help your staff recognize if the pupil is struggling because you may actually uh, initiate the start of one of these strategies with the support staff because you recognize the behavior even if they haven't picked up on it. Something simple like it looks like rain. Maybe all you need to say to cue your classroom support people, the behavior is coming on and you need to use these strategies. Either way, you'll not be able to use the strategies if you can't see the behavior coming. Prevention is better than cure and all good teachers can read their class and are aware of the subtle signs that problems could be developing. The first strategy I would try to put in place is wait time. Have you ever been on the edge and had someone ask you a question, any question, and you just want to burst? As a former principal and now my current support service capacity, I spend my day answering questions. And you begin to experience overload. Your mind can't cope as the questions are coming almost like machine gun fire. The pressure can build as you always strive to give the best answer possible. But when we start to rush and not give ourselves time to process all the facts, we can get it wrong. And that adds to the stress or anxiety cycle. The only way to cope with this is to build in wait time. Take control of the situation. Let me think about that. Give me a moment and I'll consider the best course of action, etc. You and I all have the benefit of having better coping skills and calming sequences than most of our students. And if we benefit from the extra time, you know your students can too. But we have to build that space in for them. And that can be as difficult for the adult involved as the pupil. Wait. Just an extra 15, 20, 30 seconds for a student to process. Push through the negativity and get a response out really helps. What doesn't help is repeating the question or directive over and over. It will feel like nagging and it may push the child over the edge. So just wait and be sure to share with classroom assistants and aides what an appropriate wait time is for a student. Even practice so that they can feel how much time is enough. Each pupil will be different and they will gain experience working with different children and know what the appropriate wait time is.
Requesting a break is the next strategy. Lord knows sometimes I need a break and I know how to ask for one. But does your student know how? They really do have to. Knowing how to request a break and knowing what happens during break and how and when the break ends is an essential part of breaking the bad behaviour cycle for a student, particularly with autism. Determine how a student will ask for a break. You can add a visual cue to break time. Next, decide what is available to the student when they are on the break, like head down, puzzle, writing, drawing, play-doh, etc. Then figure out how long the break will last and how time will be measured. You can use a simple sound timer or it could be a stopwatch or a countdown on a mobile phone or whatever. Or maybe it's the time it takes to watch a short video that they're plugged into. Either way, breaks need to be timed. Finally, and very importantly, how does the student return to work? I know this is a weird question, but does the student return to the work they were doing before the break? Is there a preferred activity used to transition them back in? Is there a lower level academic, academic task used for this transition? You have to decide how to transition back to work or enable them to slowly get back to the routine. And this can be really important as you want to make sure the return is as seamless and easy as possible. On a special note, particularly with this strategy, if a student initiates a break, you must let them have it. If you don't, it may make the process unworkable for the student and then work against you. Try not to refuse a properly initiated break request. And the initiation can be through timeout or break cards and a great way of building in self-management is to get the pupil to use them. But you can control the actual number that they have to use. The next strategy that I find works very well is lightening the load. Frustrations can run high when a student uh, is on edge and a behaviour is coming, so lower the workload. If a student is supposed to complete three problems before they get a break in a first, next, then work cycle, make sure these problems are easier or shorter. Get through the routine faster and with less effort. Also be careful how you present this as others may view your lightening of a given child's load as some kind of reward and this can be detrimental in outcome in terms of the overall class control. So work closely with your assistant on this one. The fourth one of the strategies I use quite often is adding physical activity. Finland is consistently ahead of the academic pack when we compare test scores and student performance globally. Guess what? They have recess all the way through high school. They don't call it recess, but each hour, students and teachers get a 15 minute break for physical activity and social interactions. At many schools I work with, I see students only have a real break between class periods of for about five to seven minutes. And teachers who are worried about transitions with a student who needs lots of structure make the student stay in their space or seat through that time. So where do they get to build in the physical activity? There is none. There's none for the child in particular until they start beating the heck out of us adults. So how can you work that out? Try a walk. 
Worried about the student leaving the class? Try sit-ups or push-ups in the room. You want them to stay in the chair? Try knee-ups or arm curls? The point is, any movement becomes important. If you're working with younger groups, try brain breaks, for example, brain gym. Play the Madagascar theme song and encourage students to dance, jump or wiggle or just seat shuffle. Studies have shown that physical activities incorporated into the classroom actually help students with attention and skill development. What do you have to lose? Number five, review the schedule. Sometimes students have anxiety about being at school. If at all possible, review the schedule for the day. It may even be you have to review the schedule for a particular class or a specific activity. The goal is to help the student anticipate what's coming so they can better manage it in the moment. Think about how you would feel at a staff development um, day if you were just called into a meeting. It Doesn't it feel like if you knew what was coming you'd feel less anxious about the whole thing? Like if you knew the agenda you could handle anything? Well it's the same thing with our children. Knowing the expectations of what is coming in the next 5 minutes or the next 10 minutes or even the entire day may help alleviate the anxiety and you might find that it cuts off the path to bad behaviour. Particularly with students with ADHD and autism I advise that classes should have some form of clear visual timetable and that for some individual children we can use cards that they have the same icon on as the class timetable and by placing just two on the desk we can follow a now next strategy and they can then work their way through the different activities or timetable or schedule in small bite sized chunks. My sixth and final strategy in this episode is offering choice. In a prior post we shared uh, that an average adult has to make over 35,000 choices in a single day. The problem for some of our students and particularly those with a severe disability is, is that we have systematically removed opportunities for them to even make basic choices throughout the day. Statistics say that I will make over uh, 200 decisions today about what I eat. Yet a student may have a choice from two at breakfast, two to five items at lunch and no choice at all at dinner. So with little choice it's easy to understand how someone may become frustrated when suddenly they're faced with having to choose. Offering multiple opportunities for choice, even if the choice is from two activities that are required for the day, can really add to your person's overall self-esteem and a feeling of self-determination. Continue with this and be sure to offer choice to even non-verbal or semi-verbal students too. They have opinions, feelings and preferences. I used to have a student who was very defiant and whenever I asked him what he wanted he would get even more defiant. When I told him what he needed to do he resisted and he got physical. This was before I developed a better skill set when working with students with ADHD, ODD and even autism. Even if his choices were between two tasks I picked out 
offering him the opportunity to choose which one he wanted to do made a dramatic change in his daily behaviour. It was like night and day. So I encourage you as many times as possible to offer the students choice and we can break it down within the rescheduling chunks that we're doing the now and, and next that there's a choice within each particular uh, set of activities we're doing for the day. Do give it. It'll make such a difference to the child. It'll build their self-esteem and it also will head off bad behaviour chains very, very early. This has been a Hacking Behaviour episode, one of the mini-series within our overall podcast episodes. Today, we have looked at behaviour strategies that work before the bad behaviour and an overview of what I've just covered, adding wait time, modelling how to request a break, lightening the workload, engaging in physical activity and reviewing the schedule and finally offering choice. 